It's starting to get dark. Driving a car, a few hours. He says, Petro, Petro. Okay, we're nodding. Great, let's go. And we see the strangest thing, you know, he's saying petrol and, and we notice we're, we're driving on the highway and I notice like we're passing by like gas stations and he didn't pull off. And that was the first kind of warning sign, like something was amiss, something was going on here. Pulls off the highway and he starts driving down, you know, some small back roads. Okay, and now it's getting a little, a little weird, a little spooky. And he drives up into this empty lot and he stops the car and our hearts are starting to race and he just turns around and he says out out and we're like what your network is your net worth come listen to some of the most successful people i know share invaluable knowledge stories and advice in real estate business and beyond this is weiss advice whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I want to share with you an incredible story today, a story that happened to me about 10 years ago. And it's incredible in many different ways. But one of those ways is that this was probably... As far as my memory serves me, the only time that I actually thought that I was going to be killed. You'll see my reaction to this story, but it was pretty scary, to say the least. And this experience taught me a lot of lessons about life and about how to overcome fear. And I hope you get something out of the story. So let me just give you a little backdrop. I was working in Israel and I had, well, it wasn't really working to tell you the truth because I had a nonprofit organization. And one of those things that I did in running this nonprofit was I would travel to collect funds. So fundraising, as is a normal part of every nonprofit organization, I traveled from Israel to Europe on several occasions. There are a number of communities, Jewish communities in Europe that have very, you know, strong charitable members of those communities who, you know, will write sizable checks. And it's a way to that, you know, I supported myself and, and this organization. One of those trips, particularly trips, I traveled with a partner of mine, a friend of mine, to Zurich, Switzerland. And we spent about three days in Zurich, Switzerland, and we took a round trip ticket that was the cheapest one that we could possibly find that stopped in Kiev, okay? So in Ukraine, this was before the civil war, the whole unrest and everything like that. So we stopped in Kiev on the way there, and this was in the winter time. This was in February or March. So it was pretty, pretty cold. It was snowing very hard, Russian, Ukrainian winter. I'm not going to tell you about what happened on the way to Zurich. We had about a 10-hour layover in Kiev. We decided to venture out. I'm not going to tell you that story. I'm going to tell you the story on the way back. On the way back from Zurich, we had, again, about a six-hour layover, and we decided we were going to venture out into um, a nearby community because there are, you know, in the history of, you know, Eastern Europe, there were many, many great rabbis, many great people, tzaddikim, holy men that lived in Europe and are buried there. And it's a Jewish custom that a lot of people still practice today that the burial place, the grave of holy people 
is actually not like a shrine, but it's set up that people go there and they pray. Not pray to the dead, God forbid, they pray to God, but it is a holy place. And in that holy place where the righteous person, the holy person is buried, there's a special significance, a special uh, light that surrounds that place. And this tradition dates back all the way to the times of the Bible. We find even at the time when the Israelites, the Jewish people, were in the desert before they came into the land, they sent in spies, right? Anyone know the story of the Miraglim, the spies? They went into the land and Caleb ben Yefuna, Caleb, okay, of the tribe of Judah, he went in and he traveled, you know, when they were scouting out the land, he traveled to Hebron, where the, in Hebron, that's where the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah are buried. And so it's very interesting, up until this day, even today, and this is a, a parenthetical note, okay, this is a side note, before we get to where we travel to in the Ukraine. This is a side note. In many of these holy places in Israel where there are burial places, we're dating back thousands of years, when the, you know, the Arab populations moved in and you know, kind of conquered Israel, what they did was, and this you know, dates back over a thousand years, and they still do it today, is any holy Jewish place, first thing that they do is they set up and build a mosque on top of that place, which to you and I may seem a little strange, but it's a sign that they also recognize it, number one, as a holy place. Number two, it's a great way for us to know where exactly those holy places are. So, I mean, this is all over the place. And Hebron is the perfect example, because there the Maras Machpelah, right, the cave, that huge structure, that edifice that's, that's been there for over a thousand years is a mosque. And they agree that that is the burial place of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, etc. Another great place, one of my favorite places to visit there is the, the prophet Samuel. Okay, right outside Jerusalem, the prophet Samuel, they call, and the Arabs, this is another great thing about the Arabs, as they call the name for these places, right, the biblical name. So that just, you know, kind of wipes out any theory that they have any claim to the land, and they said the Jewish people never live there. That's just ridiculous. Anyone who knows history, and I'm, an, I'm a historian, you know, I had a history major, I love history, like Nabi Samuel, right? Nabi Samuel is the prophet Samuel. That's the name of the town where the prophet Samuel is buried. And it's on the top of a mountaintop, Ramah, just past Ramot, right down beside Jerusalem. And there, there's a huge mosque, again, built on top of that. Anyways, back to our story here. So we decided to travel. There's a holy rabbi named Rav Mordechai of Chernobyl. Okay, so this was, you know, hundreds of years before the Chernobyl meltdown happened. There was a holy city in the Ukraine called Chernobyl. It's about 100, 150 kilometers north of Kiev, the capital city. And this rabbi Mordechai of Chernobyl is known as the Chernobyl Magid. He was one of the great, great tzaddikim. He passed away in the year, I believe, 1837. And he left, you know, a dynasty of, he had eight children, eight sons, that each one of them, you know, had a whole following and were great rabbis, great tzaddikim in their own right. He's buried in a little town, basically halfway between, well, I would, not even halfway, very close to Kiev. It's about an hour drive outside of Kiev, a little town called Anatevka or Anatevka, okay? We decided we were going to get a driver and we had some connections with, um, you know, some people there. We get a private driver, like a taxi, who would take us, drive us to this cemetery, basically, this old Jewish cemetery in the town of Anatevka, 
and would wait for us, you know, to go and say some prayers and then go back. We got directions and, and everything was fine. We got this driver. We, we, you know, arranged it through a friend of ours who knew someone who lived in the Ukraine and was able to arrange, you know, kind of these drivers for Jewish people. Because it's a pretty common thing that Jewish, you know, Jewish people come from Israel, from the United States, and they come and they travel to go to these cemeteries, these, these holy sites, these burial, you know, sites to, to pray. One of the most famous ones is in Uman, right? That's a lot of people, tens of thousands of people go there every year. And, you know, the Baal Shem to a lot of places. In short, we went. We're driving there, this little kind of rinky-dinky car. And the driver who speaks maybe a few words of broken English, like literally a few words like hello and in, in, out. Like that was it. We're driving. It takes us there. It's nice. It, it snowed the night before, so it was a, kind of a clear day. We're driving along and we, we get there. It's about an hour and a half drive all the way to Anatika from Kiev, about uh, northwest. We arrived there and there was an old lady who lived next door who was actually like kind of the gatekeeper of the cemetery. And could, because on the Chernobyl Magid's grave site, there was actually a structure, a building that was built that you can kind of go in and light some candles. And it's a kind of a private structure. It was great. Beautiful. It was very um, enlightening. We kind of, you know, cried and we, we, we prayed and it was a very moving experience. Okay. Spent a little time there. We get back in the car to travel back to the Kiev airport because we had a flight to catch. Okay. We had a connecting flight to catch and we were a little nervous on the time because, you know, we traveled there back. It was only a six hour layover between getting there, arranging the driver, et cetera. It was getting pretty close because we had to get there an hour before, et cetera. We are driving and all of a sudden it's starting to get dark and the driver, he turns to us and he says, petrol, 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 which, which means gas. I understand that. It's like, kind of an Arabic, you know, they say that also petrol means gas. So I assumed he needed to, to fill up in gas, right? Pretty normally driving a car a few hours. So he says, petrol, petrol. Okay, we're nodding, great, let's go. And my friend and I were, were talking the whole time, you know, sharing stories and, and discussing things. And we see the strangest thing, you know, he's saying petrol and, and we notice we're, we're driving on the highway and I notice like we're passing by like gas stations, right? You, when you're driving on the highway, they're, you know, gas stations, you pull off and get off. And he didn't pull off. And that was the first kind of warning sign, like something was amiss, something was going on here. And I just said that to my friend, and he also thought it was a little strange. Driving, driving, he pulls off the highway at a certain point. I'm like, okay, there must be like, you know, a gas station here that he knows about. Maybe there's like a, you know, a, uh, a coupon or something, who knows what? pulls off the highway and he starts driving down, you know, some small back roads. And we're like, this is strange. Where is he taking us? Okay, and now it's getting a little, a little weird, a little spooky. And he drives up into this empty lot, basically this huge empty parking lot. And he pulls in about, you know, about 20, 30 feet into this lot, totally empty, no cars around anywhere and he stops the car and my friend and i just like looked at each other like what is going on here and our hearts are starting to race and he just turns around and he says out out and we're like what no <laughs> no <laughs> we said yet you know that's the you know the one russian word that we knew you know yet no we're not getting out 
and he kind of shrugs his shoulders and he keeps driving like in this parking lot. All of a sudden he pulls up to like this kind of structure, kind of wall, you know, concrete pillars, something like that. And he just parks the car. And we're like in like this, you know, surrounded by concrete. Like, what is he doing to us? We start like praying. We don't know what's going on. We, we thought we were finished. We literally thought this was the end. He gets out of the car and he walks away. And now we're just sitting here like sitting ducks. Like, what is he planning here? Maybe he's in the mafia. Who knows what's going on? And, you know, we can't even call anyone because there's like no reception out there or telephones. It was crazy. Then we hear him like walking back. He opens up the trunk of the car. Okay. So we can't even see out the back window. What is going on in the back? What is he getting out of the trunk? That's what we're thinking to ourselves. What is he doing there? We had our bags with us. We had like small carry-ons in the front with us. And I remember thinking to myself, this was it. You know, I lived a great life. You know, what, what's my wife and my children going to do without me? But I started to pray and, you know, think about all the things that I did wrong and, and wanted to fix. And, you know, we, we really had a very enlightening experience where we kind of felt like this repentance, this, you know, huge thing overcame us. And we started to say Shema Yisrael and, and the Tshuva, the Vidui, the whole thing, everything. And all of a sudden we start smelling this really, really strong smell, like gas. We're like, oh my, is he like gassing us? What is he doing? And then all of a sudden, like it dawns on us, it smells like propane. Somehow like he's filling up the car, whatever. This, we didn't think too much. We just jumped out of the car because the smell was so strong. And, you know, we thought we couldn't breathe anymore. We jumped out of the car. We ran. And we see the guy standing there about 50 feet away, just laughing, 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 laughing. You know, I just remember looking back at the car and seeing like a hose going into like this propane tank that he was filling up because the car ran on propane and not gasoline. And it was just like some, you know, kind of out in the neck of the woods, underground um, gas, you know, operation, illegal operation going on here where he was filling up his car with propane instead of gas. And he had asked us originally to get out of the car so we wouldn't have to bear that smell. So it was really for our safety. So he was cracking up. We just looked at each other and started cracking up and laughing also. And it was like this huge burden had been lifted off us. Okay. This is crazy. Now that was like a near death experience in my mind because I literally thought that that was it. And I remember we got back in the car and we're like driving there. And then we start thinking, oh no, our flight. Like we, we got to get to our flight. We got to back to the airport. And uh, we kind of nudge the guy. We're like, um, time, flight, you know, plane. We just started like making motions like, you know. <laughs> and yeah, he's like, okay, 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 okay. Not acknowledging our worry. And then, you know, we're like, what are we get? What's going to be? What, what's going to happen? What if we miss our flight? Like, there's no more flights. It's, it's Thursday, you know, tomorrow is uh, Friday. The Sabbath is coming. What's going to be? We didn't know what was happening. All of a sudden, I, I'll never forget. We're just like talking to each other. What's going to be? We're just trying to rush this guy. And all of a sudden, I hear, we hear on the radio, like very faintly, this really, this song that we both knew. And we like looked at each other. Like, what's that song? And we're like, turn up the volume, like, loud song. 
I know, like, yeah. I know that song. This was like a message from above. And we just started laughing again because obviously God was sending us this message. To us, it was clear. Don't worry. <laughs> Be happy. <laughs> and I love this song and I hadn't heard it probably in about 10 years, 15 years maybe. And I'll never forget. Every time I hear this song, I think of that story. And, and that's why I thought of this story now. Because somehow I heard like a couple notes of the song and I was like, I got to tell someone this story because almost no one knows this story. And the lesson is too powerful to pass up. The lesson is, don't worry, be happy. God is taking care of us and we don't even know all the things that are going on. And we start thinking about stuff. This could happen and this is going to happen to me and this is... And it's all just outside forces really getting into our head. What we really need to do is get into our head. Don't worry. Be happy. And it's in our own mind. It's in our own control. And when we get to that point where we can really be in that state of mind to recognize that God is speaking to us and that we have control over how we can choose to think, then why would you not? think positively? Why would you not think of the positive alternative? Don't get swallowed up into fear and into worry when you have the opportunity to turn that worry into faith, into positive thinking, and project that to all those around you. So I just want to leave you with that message. I think this was an awesome story and I needed to share it. I need to record this that everyone, you know, my children, the posterity will hear this lesson because if there's one thing you get out of this whole podcast is that this is my outlook on life. Don't worry, be happy. God is good. There's a bigger plan and we have to recognize that and go through life seeing how I can be a positive influence to others and make that change relevant to our own lives and to those that surround us. So I hope you enjoyed this story. And remember, don't worry, be happy. But remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.